Well, good morning, 930. Wow, cool. I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm not a teaching pastor, but I am one of the Bible teachers here at Life Point Church. And I happen to have been on staff um, for eight years at LPC. So I am acquainted with some of you. And if you're new with us this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. Pastor Cale as well. Knowing that he would be out of town today, he invited me to fill in for him, and I'm going to do the best that I can. He met with me a couple weeks ago, and he goes, hey, I've got some good news. And I said, well, you found somebody to teach for you today? He goes, no, we're going to three services. <laughs> Thank you, Kale. Today we're starting out a new series entitled Playlist, and it's a five-week series that's going to be highlighting the book of Psalms, and we're, we're looking at the book of Psalms as the, as the uh, Hebrew Old Testament playlist, and it's actually the pra- playlist for the whole human race because whatever you're going through or going to go through, the Psalms addresses the feelings that come along with adversity because most of the 150 Psalms, they're very visceral. They're driven from the author's instinct as they express raw emotion to God. And in today's teaching, we're going to study a portion of Psalm 103, and we're really going to focus in on the topic of forgiveness. And in doing so, we're going to address why it is so hard for Christians to accept for God's forgiveness in spite of everything that he's done for us. And here's the rub when it comes to forgiveness. It's really hard to wrap our head around the caricature of the Old Testament God who's raining fire and brimstone down upon men, women, and children. And while other Old Testament authors, they're bragging about the same God's compassion, His grace, and His love. And then add this to the mix. Many of us have experienced betrayal by others who, when we've asked for forgiveness, they've assured us they've forgiven us, but sadly we find out later that it's a ruse. And what we end up doing is we end up projecting our skepticism about forgiveness unfairly on God based upon past experiences. And So before we dig into Psalm 103, I want you to open your Bibles or your Bible app or the words are going to be up on the screen for you. I want you to go to Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 44. And you may be going, Pastor Jeff, that's kind of, I thought you said Psalm 103. We'll get there. But I want you to see something very interesting. Luke 24, 44 through 48. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the what? The Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures or the Old Testament. He said to them, thus it's written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that the repentance for what? Forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
So we've got the, re- the, the resurrected Jesus' words to his disciples who were obviously struggling with coming to terms, being face-to-face with the resurrected Messiah. And we could teach an entire series on these verses. But the point that I want to make here is that Jesus highlights the Psalms in this encounter with his disciples. And he took the time to explain that they shouldn't be surprised by the events that happened on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday if they were reading their Old Testaments correctly. So apparently, there's a right way to read the Old Testament. There's also a right way to read the Psalms. And here's the right way. Jesus wants us to see him in them. So when we encounter a God who's forgiving sin and who's forgetting sin, Jesus wants us to think about his mission as we read them. And I don't know about you, but seeing Jesus in the Psalms, the Hebrew playlist, for me, this is a mic drop moment, if that's still a thing anymore. Look back just a couple verses in Luke 24, verse 27 The Bible says, and beginning with Moses and with the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. So to begin to understand and comprehend and appreciate the God of the Old Testament, Jesus is the prism to see God through. You guys, if we get Jesus right, we're going to understand God, especially the God of the Old Testament, better. So as we kickstart this playlist series, we're going to go now to Psalm 103. And I call this, this is a masterpiece psalm. And I also refer to it as God's senior moment psalm because we're going to see here that God is doing a lot of forgetting and a little bit of remembering. So Psalm 103 Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget this. If you're a Christian this morning, don't forget this. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who forgives all your iniquity. Y'all getting it? Who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like that of the eagles. You guys, every morning we ought to read those five verses as we wake up and as we allow the Bible to tell us who we are. We ought to read Forget, don't forget those benefits. And so not only does the psalm open up reminding us not to forget any of God's benefits, one of which is his short memory, his senior moment when it comes to our sins. Another important thing to think about is as you look at these verses, who's the one that's doing all the action? Who's doing the action? going to take you back to English grammar class now. Don't roll your eyes, but think about English grammar. God is the one doing all the action. He's the subject in these five verses that we read. 
and we're the direct objects. We're the one that's receiving the action of the subject. So first, David says, as he wrote this psalm, we're called to bless the Lord for every one of his benefits that he gives us. And secondly, we're called not to forget the benefits of forgiveness and healing and redemption, loving kindness, compassion, and good things. And what this psalm is teaching us right off the bat is forgiveness is a benefit that's bestowed upon us. It is not tied or linked to our performance. In the moment that we become Christians, God forgives all our sins, period. And we need to live out of this fact. And we can find it in the New Testament. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we receive, hear that word, we read that word, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but yet we always seem to go back in our human nature and tie our gospel identities to our performance. And Psalm 103 teaches biblical forgiveness is not tied to our performance. Biblical forgiveness is based upon God's benevolence. And so, if forgiveness isn't based upon our performance, why do we think that we've got to do something to advance the ball a little farther down the field? Use a football analogy here. You know, when it comes to our salvation, Jesus didn't just take us to the red zone saying, now it's up to you to get the ball in the end zone. I drove down the field 80 yards. You take it to the, you take it the final 20. No. If you're a Christian, your sin has been dealt with once and for all. You guys, what is it that Jesus cried on the cross? It is finished. Finito. Actually, the Greek term there is tetelestai. He cried tetelestai. The goal is complete. And there's nothing we can add to the plan of salvation or to the forgiveness that accompanies it. Our sins are forgiven. We've got eternal life. Because Jesus prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 4. He said, Father, I've glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you've gave me to do. It's finished, you guys. We don't have to add anything else when it comes to our forgiveness. But man, doesn't the enemy want to just keep reminding us of our past. Keep reminding us. I just have a heart for you all because I, I know what it is like to be a Christian. And yet, it's, it's, I, I'm a Christian, but I've got all this baggage. It's finished. Till let's die. What did Jesus say to the disciples in Luke 24? He said, you're not going to understand that God forgives and forgets unless you see me in this psalm. And what is it that we're not to forget? Our forgiveness is totally tied to God's ability to forget. 
God has a senior moment when it comes to our sins. And so how do we walk in the freedom of forgiveness? Well, let's read another portion of Psalm 103. And let's look at these God-like behaviors in these next few verses. Psalm 103.10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Ain't that good? Notice God's treatment of His forgiven children because behavior here be everything. I know that's not good English. I talked about English grammar a minute ago. Here's some poor grammar. Behavior be everything. I'm talking about God's behavior here. He doesn't deal, uh, deal with us like Reichardt Ford, we're dealing. He doesn't do that. He doesn't repay us according to our sins. Verses we just read said he has steadfast love. That word in the Hebrew is hesed. Hesed. Steadfast love in the English Standard Version. In the Hebrew, it's got another nuance to it. It's a steadfast covenant loyalty. Kind of like a dog as a dog is protective of its bone. As a mother cub is super protective. Or as a mother bear is super protective of, of mother cubs. That's the kind of steadfast loyalty here and love that the psalmist is talking about. It says that he removes our transgressions from us. He shows us compassion. That's an important word, shows. He shows us compassion. Tuck that in your memory bank. He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust creatures. He cuts us lots of slack because we're not little G gods. We're not angels. We're not spiritual beings, but we're humans. And the thought might occur to you, you might be saying, yeah, Jeff, but is it really, really possible to know that God has truly forgiven me? What measure can Christians use to determine if God really does forgive and forget? Well, a human analogy might work at this point. I was talking with Martha, my wife, who, by the way, today's her birthday. She's here at the 930 service. Happy birthday, Martha. She's also the financial director of LifePoint Church, all the churches. So that's another thing. I'm married to the FD um, of uh, LPC. Um, I know I'm an acronym guy there, but, but I want you to think about this from a human standpoint. How do you know that you've been forgiven by someone? And the answer is simply by their behavior towards you. I mean, are you continuing to get the silent treatment? Are you being ghosted? Are you being stonewalled? Or the person that you have offended and you've asked forgiveness for, did they say, yeah, you're forgiven, but are they constantly reminding you of your offense as a method of control? Well, these attitudes, they can cause deep wounds and allow a lot of doubt to creep in when it comes to receiving forgiveness. 
But yet on the flip side, if I've truly been forgiven, then the behavior of the one that I've offended is going to put me at ease. They're not going to avoid you. You won't be feeling guilt and shame around them. You're going to be in, there's going to be a sense of relief and you can actually be free around them. And so if that works for a human analogy, then rationally it should work when it comes to how to know that you've been forgiven by God. Then the answer is the same. It's by his behavior towards you. And you guys, his behavior towards us, towards you, means is not feelings-based, it's action-based. Remember I said, the verse said, he shows compassion. He shows compassion. God's forgiveness is demonstrative in nature. And Psalm 103 highlights God's behavior in action because behavior be everything. And oftentimes, human forgiveness, it's feelings-driven. It's reciprocal. I mean, if we give it to somebody, we're going to expect something back in return. And yet when it comes to God's forgiveness, it's based upon his demonstrative, not feelings-based love. One of the greatest verses quoted in the New Testament would be John chapter 3, verse 16. Agree? Yeah. For God so loved the world that he felt. Right? No. For God so loved the world that he gave. Paul writes in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love toward us. Not feelings-based, demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he gave Christ to die for us. And for any reason, if you need reassurance about God's forgiveness towards you, let me remind you, you only have to read Jesus into this psalm like he instructed the disciples to understand how concrete in nature God's forgiveness is. And how concrete in nature is God's forgiveness? He sent Jesus into the world to prove it. And Jesus came into the world as a dust creature. Remember Psalm 103 says, He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. Jesus became that dust creature because God not only knows our frame, not only does He remember that we're dust, but He sent Jesus to be the Israel that Israel could not be. He sent Jesus to be the imager that Adam and Eve couldn't be. And he sent Jesus to be the we that we couldn't be. You know, here at LPC, we've got five core values under the acronym of GRASP. And the G stands for gospel identity. And what I mean by that is, is waking up every day and allowing the Bible to tell us who we are as opposed to how we feel about ourselves. And the Bible tells us things like we're loved. The Bible tells us things that God delights in us. The Bible tells us we're forgiven. But the problem comes when we think, yes, Pastor Jeff, but you don't know what I've done. Or 
I don't feel forgiven. Or how can I believe that God has forgiven me when I can't even forgive myself? You know, these doubts arise out of guilt and shame over past and previous sins, but our gospel identities and our past sins should never be connected. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what that means is the new you and the old you don't belong together. You know, I was an 18-year-old graduate. I got my first job, and I was super excited to get out of my house that I grew up in for 18 years. I lived in southern Ohio up a gravel, gravel road, and, and uh, I, just, I, I was like, I'm done. And so I moved five-tenths of a mile away. <laughs> hey, but it was a move, Okay. I got out of there, and I come home from work one day, daydreaming, and man, the old me just took over. And I pulled right up that gravel road, drove up the hollow, pulled under the carport, and all of a sudden, whammo, schwammo, it's like, dang it, Huff, you don't live here anymore. You have a new place. And you guys, if you're a Christian, Old things have passed away. You don't live there anymore. You're new. The Bible says you're a new creature. Don't let sin destroy the sense that you have of the new you or of the forgiven you. Now, I'm not saying that it's not okay to have a self-awareness of our sin but if we're stuck in the past, you guys, that's a problem. That's where the enemy wants you to stay, is in that old residence. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his young protege, Timothy, and he refers to himself as the chiefest of sinners. Now, I don't know how young Timothy felt, but he probably felt pretty low if he got a letter from Paul and Paul is referring to himself and being self-aware and saying, I'm the foremost of sinners. But yet, in lieu of that self-awareness, think about it. It never stopped Paul from doing the things that he was called to do. And in a 10-year span, he turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And he took the gospel to the Gentiles and he planted numerous churches and composed one-third of the New Testament. This man was not stuck in his past. Don't allow the enemy to get you and keep you stuck. You are new. You are forgiven. You all getting this? Somebody say yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. It's one thing to know about our sins. It's another thing, though, to be identified by them. God is not afraid of our past sin. He's not afraid of our present sin. We are not untouchable to Him because of our sin. 
Matthew chapter 8 tells a very short story to illustrate what I mean by this. Immediately after concluding the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus encounters a leper. And this leper bows down in front of Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, isn't that interesting? The leper doesn't say, if you can. He says, if you're willing. You ever catch that when you read that story? What's the point? Leper didn't have any doubt in Jesus' ability to heal. What he was doubting was, will Jesus have the character to heal me? He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Of course, the drama's heightened in the story. What's Jesus going to do? Is Jesus going to be afraid to touch this leper and become contaminated by his disease? The story goes on to say, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, absolutely, I am willing, be clean. Some of you here this morning, when it comes to God's forgiveness, you don't doubt that he has the ability to forgive. What you're doing is you're doubting his character. You doubt that he's willing. We believe God's got the ability, but we still question, yeah, but is he willing to forgive mine? Well, what about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? Jesus describes the father's behavior this way when he sees his sinful son coming back home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And some of you here today for some reason are like that prodigal in that you're still a long way off from allowing God's forgiveness to wash over you. Run into his arms unashamed because of his compassion. Trust God's character. You know, Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. Not only are we not untouchable because of our sin, we're also embraceable because of it. And maybe you're one of those folks who thinks like this. Well, you know, Pastor Jeff, I believe that for you. And I might even believe that for the person sitting in front of me this morning or maybe the person sitting in the same aisle, but I just can't, I just can't believe it for me. Well, I want you to consider this. If you're thinking that this morning, the greatest single act of forgiveness in all the Scripture is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Verses 33 and 34. And here's what it says. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
amidst all the powers that hell can muster up, darkness and evil converging on Jesus, and while being crucified, he asked that his tormentors and his executioners be forgiven. Do you ever think about that? It's hard for me to comprehend that level of forgiveness. Jesus has concern for those who led him away to be crucified. And he asked the Father to forgive him for executing him. But not only that, he also offers up a reason for God to take the request into consideration. He says, for they do not know what they're doing. And this remarkable prayer for forgiveness, it's heard by the eyewitnesses at the cross and they relay it to the disciples. The disciples pass it on to Luke. Luke shares it in his gospel. And during the transmission of this story, everyone who heard it must have shaken their head in disbelief. And you guys, what we're saying this morning is only the God of Psalm 103 can do that. And if God's forgiveness, if it was conditional, if it was feelings-based, for it was solely dependent upon his willingness, my question to you this morning is, would Jesus have made a request like that? And I say the answer is no way. But friends, on the basis of Jesus asking for forgiveness for his executioners, if you're a Christian, how could you ever doubt that you've been forgiven? I mean, let's get real. Isn't it time that you give yourself a break and stop being harder on yourself than God ever thought about being? Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far he has removed our transgressions from us i say to you this morning if you're a christian it's time to act like you're forgiven and start walking in the freedom of god's forgiveness let us pray Heavenly Father, we, um, we come to you this morning and we just have hearts, Lord, for those, God, that are, that are maybe today Christians, but feeling, Lord, um, the weight of um, past sin, Lord. We ask that, Lord, we just, God, run to you unashamed because of your mercy, because of your grace. And Lord, we let you love on us and let, Lord, the fact of your, that you delight in us. Lord, we just pray that we can trust in you and your character. And we can trust in Jesus that you sent for us. 
We trust in his ministry. We trust in his life. We trust in his crucifixion. And it is also because of his resurrection. We can say without a doubt that regardless of how we feel, we are new. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your mighty name. And amen.